0: I'd like to thank Blendjet for sponsoring this episode. You know I am already a huge fan of the Blendjet 2. It's a brilliant bit of kit and many of you have picked one up using my promo code, so thanks. I am delighted to let you know it's just got even better. The new Orbiter drinking lid truly puts the Blendjet 2 into the atmosphere ahead of its competition. It's leak-proof, has a larger opening for thick smoothies with room for a straw and it's engineered to keep spills at bay. I'm surprised Bob Lazar didn't talk about seeing this tech in the halls at S4. It's easy to use so it can be operated one-handed, ideal for walking around camping under the stars or drinking on the treadmill. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. Don't forget to add the orbiter lid and be sure to use the promo code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code that UFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping.
1: This is Lou Elizondo and you are listening to that UFO podcast.
0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and joining me for a bonus episode after last month's popular interview on his Secret Space UFOs Apollo 1 to 11 documentary, I said I would get him back on to discuss his new Fast Walkers documentary, and it's now been out for a couple of weeks. I've already heard from some of you listeners who have checked it out, and you've really enjoyed it. So with no further ado, welcome back to the podcast, Darcy Weir. Hi Darcy, you okay? I'm great. How you doing, Andy? I'm very well. Uh, Listen, let's get into this. Uh, It seemed like it came out quickly, but we discussed it, uh, your previous documentary, right before the new one was due to come out. So, uh, like I say, I wanted to get you straight back on. Um, We did speak last month and we've covered your background uh, in more detail then, but just for anyone joining in this time, uh, what is your your background quickly, Darcy? And also, why do you make documentaries about the UFO phenomenon?
1: My background, uh, you know, I actually was studying film and video production as a younger lad. And uh, I ended up pursuing a career in IT for a little while, and then uh, was moonlighting as a filmmaker on the side. And um, I've always been interested in fringe theories and in ideas that we're not alone, you know? And um, when I started, documenting stories like this, I started with some pretty zany ideas, some pretty woo and fringe thinking stuff. Um, But I've made my way back to a very sort of centrist way of looking, this very objective way of looking at um, the UFO phenomenon. And that's how I started looking into NASA and uh, all these anomalies that have happened throughout space history to do with UFOs and, um, you know, strange things happening in space. And uh, this recent documentary, which kind of comes off the back of the Apollo era stuff that we were covering in in the last conversation we had, it's called Secret Space UFOs, Fast Walkers, uh, because I really wanted to show that there are these, there's a history of space-based ufo encounters that have happened in which the air force documented these anomalies as fast walkers as ufos or unidentified objects that are looking like they move around with intelligent control ping-ponging in outer space around our planet sometimes entering the earth's atmosphere and then leaving and uh you know, we, we start from 1973 after the Apollo manned missions had finished in 1972. And we, we start to cover the space uh, Skylab uh, incident, Skylab 3, the first manned space station in which uh, we have astronauts like Al Bean that witness uh, a massive red glowing object that was 2 to 3 miles from the space station following them over Africa and um you know it was a, a a 9 minute encounter and we cover the fact that the air force and these deep space satellite systems like the DSP have been tracking fast walkers and um, space based UFOs from the 1970s until now and uh, NASA has been privy to a lot of this information. They've uh, had astronauts comment on the things that they've saw, saw above Earth orbit, um, and they sometimes say we have an alien spacecraft under observance, or we have a UFO, we have an unidentified flying object, and then we have videos and strange. Recordings that come from STS space missions and the ISS missions all throughout history leading up until now where, look, we're at the precipice of this May 31st, 2023 live report that NASA is going to give on UAP in our day, in our time.
0: You have just summarised uh, about half my questions in that very succinct uh, that piece. So we'll dig into those in a bit more detail. And, and to go back to the beginning, the, the term "fast walker" for many is a newer term, maybe from twenty seventeen onwards. You know, New York Times articles and such. But it, like you say, it goes back decades. It's documented as going back decades, fifty years. And I think that's a great argument when when people look at the modern UFO phenomenon it's so easy to dismiss everything as drones. Everything's drones are secret military tech, and I don't doubt a lot of it probably will be, but it's a great argument to say that, you know, we never had these kind of drones 50 years ago. You couldn't walk into your local kind of hardware store and pick up a drone for $50 or £100, whatever it might be, you know, for a cheap drone. Uh, These things were going at incredible speeds, doing incredible things, long before even our best technology could get anywhere near that, weren't they?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're thinking about fast walker cases where an object, definitely not a drone or at least an earth based drone, I mean, there is an arg- argument that some of the UFOs we see out there might be technology that's observing us from a civilization or intelligence far, far from here. And that's the way that they're carrying out the beginning of their missions. Yep. Uh I think when you look at the cases that I put down at the starting of the documentary, the uh, S the DSP Defense Satellite Program, in which was launched in 1970s and finished in 1991. These were old satellite systems by today's standards that have optical baffles on them, so cameras. They have infrared sensors and all radio, radio and radar detectors. And they traced uh, objects that came from deep space. For example, in 1984, one came and parked within a couple miles of the DSP system and stayed within Earth orbit and then left. And researchers like Ron Regehr were responsible for this information being pulled out of uh, the company that manufactured the DSP system. It's called Aerojet in California. And over that, those decades, those three decades in which they recorded all of these deep space objects coming to Earth, there are hundreds of fast walker incidents that were recorded by the DSP system. And these are only being recorded as fast walkers because they're the most relevant, they're the most um, logical to be something that's real. And um if you think about that and the and the history in which those happened, this is earth-shattering, groundbreaking territory. But no one's really privy to this information. And it also lends one to think that the, the defense satellite program was an operation of the DOD, the Department of Defense in the United States. What else do they have? You know? And Christopher Mellon recently coming out after the Arrow congressional meeting, saying that there is satellite imagery out there that is so high resolution, pictures and videos of these objects interacting with Earth. You know, he wouldn't say that unless we had tons of this information. And I think
0: they do. I think it was um, alluded to and rumored a few different times I had some... uh some members of the the nimitz Princeton incident on a roundtable, Kevin Day, PJ Hughes, and Gary Voorhees, a couple of years ago now, uh, and they were talking about if if those objects, those tic-tacs that were coming, you know, raining in, and they were on radar, and the, the radar's ceiling was 80,000 feet, and they were coming in from orbit, then it would make sense that any, any systems that were based along the coast to track missiles coming in from, you know, outside the atmosphere, outside orbit, whatever the, the language would be, would also have caught those on their systems and sensors too. So it's likely there was some very good data captured even for those types of incidents by all types of sensors that weren't just out on those ships. And like you say, even even in orbit as well. And that's the modern stuff. And you can imagine how good that will be if we've got satellites going back, like you're saying, to the 70s that have been manufactured probably in the 60s that managed to capture good data on ufos in orbit in space and i think there's a lot of junk floating about in space for sure there's a lot of misidentifications we hear about ice crystals being reported all of that stuff is up there but there is very clear footage or as clear as it can be of objects moving at pace slowing down speeding up changing direction and and keeping pace or keeping track with other objects in space as well isn't there there's a lot of that
1: tons um You know, in in the film, we pick up after the Tehran incident, which we try to document really well, uh, which was another fast walker tracking. The the Tehran UFO, which ended up being two UFOs kind of terrorizing this Iranian city, the capital city of the country, uh, you know, hundreds, thousands of people witnessing this mass witness event. And the Air Force recorded the American Air Force. Reportedly going over and actually debriefing and finding out what really happened and saying to the Iranians, This is not ours. This does not look like any technology that we know of on the planet. Um, Really interesting. And then we go off the back of that to the STS missions and how that started up in the 1980s and went through to the thousands and all of the scientific implications of those missions, because they were. Fantastic scientific innovations for mankind, and testing out things in in space uh, for NASA. But there were all these anomalies and objects that were recorded and reported on by the astronauts. We talked about these voice recordings that we got from uh, certain astronauts saying things on these mission days during the STS missions. And you know, we start back at STS twenty nine, where John Blaha is uh, reportedly um, recorded saying we have an alien spacecraft under observance. Yeah. What the heck? But, uh, you know, D- Dr. Jack Kasher, who covered that with Don Ratch, the investigator who recorded that, um, you know, because the thing is, a lot of people are space enthusiasts. There's many people that still watch the NASA uh live stream downlink footage and look for anomalies and stuff and, and look at all their missions and stuff they're carrying out um, and look at the fervor and interest in the public of SpaceX. People just love space. I, I, we're ready to go. You know, if it becomes affordable and we can travel to space, people will be doing it. Um, that is an incredible new foreign territory for us all. To get off planet and not everybody gets to do it and the people that have been privy to have witnessed really strange things when they have and we document in this documentary so many of these incidents where astronauts talk about and see and examine things and so we go from sts 29 uh, to sts 51 where we see this orb this metallic looking sphere that just kind of floats into view and it looks like it's analyzing what the astronaut is doing on the spacewalk, retrieving a satellite, um, the Telstar satellite, which two of them were launched on that mission. And what we really find in these missions, these STS videos, which are recorded on space cameras that you know are extremely high tech, extremely, um, robust camera systems that have to withstand the extreme environment of space, right? So extremely cold temperatures, uh, radiation exposure, um, unfiltered light coming directly from the sun because there's no atmosphere to filter that stuff, which we're, uh, pretty too. And they're shooting in a, a light spectrum often that cannot be seen by the human eye, and I kind of relate to that in the film um, to the Tic Tac or the Nimitz uh, GoFast gimbal UFO videos, which you know you were talking about Kevin Day. They were saying that these objects came from above eighty thousand you know feet. Mm-hmm. So what's above that? Space, right? So maybe some of these objects are. Fast walkers—they did originate from space environments, and that means that we have space agencies and satellites recording this stuff. And in, with the STS missions, they record in far ultraviolet light spectrum cameras, which civilians usually don't even have that technology, but NASA does. And they're all over the craft; they're laid in within the the uh, NASA. Payload bays on the multiple crafts that they have Atlantis, Discovery, Endeavor, Columbia. Obviously, two of those blew up. Uh, Challenger was one of them that exploded. Um, Columbia was another, which is, you know, led to loss of life, and it's sad. But these vehicles were high tech, they had amazing camera systems, and they recorded all kinds of anomalies. And in this documentary, we're breaking down, um, you know, the footage, what happened throughout many decades of building the space station, because really the STS missions, their main goal was to launch satellites, both military and, um, you know, government satellites, as well as, outfitting and delivering new modules to build the ISS, the International Space Station, with. Um, those massive payload bays would open up and they could take huge objects out of that. And, you mentioned,
0: uh, just before we get on if other, you mentioned a few different, obviously, uh, incidents before. Skylab, what interested me with that one, not just the incident, but the language that was used by the astronauts, I've got the quote, was it was a satellite, there were satellites like you would see on Earth, and there's also satellites like you wouldn't see on Earth kind of dancing around the terminology. And you hear that at times, don't you? Almost like they're not sure what to say, especially in some of those earlier missions where, obviously, you mentioned John Blaha, who uses alien spacecraft as terminology, but that that, uh, Skylab one where it's like, there's a satellite like you would see on Earth, but there's a satellite like you wouldn't see on Earth. And that's it. That yeah. kind of dancing around it's really interesting to me.
1: Well, what we try to document too in in this film is that obviously there needs to be some kind of coordination from NASA and their astronauts to be very cryptic and speak in a coded way when when dealing with public information regarding UFOs. So um you you gave that example from 1973. But we see all throughout the STS missions, they say things like, we have a fire, right? Mm -hmm. And then researchers or people that are listening to this are like, there's a fire. What? You know, if there's a fire on the space station, that would be very distressing. And you would hear all kinds of uh, conversation back and forth between ground control and the astronauts right after. But then there's a big dead space. And later on, you hear, we have a UFO. We have an unidentified uh, or whatever. But often a code word they'll say is like uh, ice crystals, right? Because that gives them an easy out to debunk what was caught on camera as ice crystals, literally. And and uh, somebody who haunts me and follows me around, he's probably in the comments from the last podcast that you released in which we had our interview about Apollo 1 to 11. Um, You'll find Jim Oberg haunting the comments, who's a former NASA employee, and he came up with the thesis that what we're seeing in these videos is just ice, space junk, or other debris. But it can't be in all the cases, especially when we look at these videos that he says that is. You literally see objects descending down towards the Earth, then going up above the earth's horizon, um, moving into formations like a circle, uh, like space ice doesn't do that. There's no way. And Dr. Jack Kasher, a physicist and former NASA employee as well, has been very argumentative with Jim Oberg over his blanket statement that this is all just prosaic uh, stuff. So what NASA does to cover it up often with the astronauts. So if you look at one of the later missions that we break down um, STS one one five, there's two different astronauts that report this UFO that seems to be flying in formation. That's definitely not metallic, uh, possibly fabric in Uh, formation going above the shuttle, right? A male voice says that and a female voice. And they read it really slowly as if it is some kind of script that they're trying to um, relay information to Capcom or to Houston without giving away to the public on that channel that there is a metallic object flying information over the shuttle and they don't know what it is, you know? Yeah. So I think it's this cryptic code word methodology um, that they, they've been employing to cover up what they're seeing. And fast walkers is a code word, you know? UAP is a code word. Code words are always gonna be in play when it comes to research and intelligence agencies That are extricably linked like nasa and, and the intelligence and defense agencies are linked they always have been um they're going to use code words and and uh you know i think we were talking about these space cameras before one thing i can say about the space cameras is that whenever we see this footage it's very often we see the same behavior of nasa recording these anomalies and sometimes Quickly cutting the feed. Yeah. Changing the camera uh, direction to stop observing that object, which you know, any logical person would think, why are they not like zooming in on it? In some mission footage, we have seen them zoom in on the UFOs, so they might have made a boo-boo and not followed the standard procedures. But they also changed to other cameras that don't have anything being recorded on them, Um, and what Jeff Challenger, an early NASA uh, space footage researcher had done, a UFO um, researcher, he had realized that NASA had been putting a video filter, basically adding distortion over top of their clean space video uh, feed whenever they were recording stuff in in space and that's that's another tactic too because then you can say oh you know it was just part of a video artifact or distortion if people want to argue hey what was that on the footage
0: hi everyone if you listen to the podcast on an apple device you can support directly by going on to apple podcasts and clicking the subscribe button and for less than the price of a coffee per month you can get early access to episodes, episodes in full and no adverts or sponsorships like this one you're hearing now. It also supports directly to me at the podcast so thank you very much. Also don't forget to go and leave the podcast on Apple a five-star review and make sure you click the follow button too. Thanks do you know what the the ice crystal stuff i get sometimes it no doubt will be space yep. junk absolutely there's loads of stuff in the atmosphere we see those images now even of satellites and where they are positioned around the earth and it's like it's a junkyard up there now as well um the tehran incident for example 1974 like you say loads of 1976 entities. i believe We'll split the difference. Uh, (laughs) The the, the pilots tried to shoot down essentially a UFO. um, They lost their comms. Systems were garbled. A smaller UFO came out of a larger object. Uh, Nothing happened when they tried to shoot it down. They couldn't even eject from their their plane. Um, That clearly wasn't a big ice crystal with a smaller ice crystal coming out of it. You mentioned the DSP satellite even picked it up in infrared. So there was data backing it up as well. There was a solid object and it was chased. It was witnessed. I, I get though, there must be times and I've seen loads of those incidents where the the nasa footage is, is filming a, a portion of the the iss or some kind of portion of space and the camera points down and points away and zooms back and, and moves out of because something's came into range there are times though and i'm sure you'll agree maybe the us has a spy satellite or china has a spy satellite and that comes into view but that's not always the case and it's those interesting cases like you say where something shoots off or like you say, you've got the footage where the circular objects form a circle and then another one comes into the middle and they're all staying still against the image of the camera and it starts lighting up and, and, and it's not lighting anymore. That's some fascinating stuff. And I know we're going to get to talking about the, the NASA study coming up as well, but NASA's archive must be filled with with that kind of footage as well. Um, yeah. And you must think, what, what have they managed to not have on there? that we've not seen
1: yeah um like what people have to realize too with these space cameras is that um they are recording all kinds of stuff to the nasa downlink and also on the space station and inside of the sts space shuttles um they have Tons of high powered cameras like Nikon cameras with amazing zoom lenses that the astronauts are taking photos and taking video recordings with. And, you know, back in the day, they even had camcorders, you know, big old like shoulder things. So they're heavily outfitted with cameras. Where does all that data go? You know, that comes back to Earth and. It is probably gone through by somebody at NASA. And I don't I, I, I don't understand why NASA doesn't have a, if it's truly just a public civilian research agency, why isn't there an archive for every single second of that space footage that's been recorded from all the shuttle missions and the ISS missions? It's because some of that information needs to be safeguarded. Some of the stuff that's being recorded on it for sure might be foreign intelligence craft spy satellites um and in some cases ufo's from another origin and uh they're worried about that information being public so they keep it to themselves um it's it's also interesting if you think about just space in terms of these objects and how they move so the space station Moves at seventeen thousand one hundred fifty miles per hour, okay, uh, which is about five miles per second. And if you're thinking of observations or videos being recorded by the space shuttle, I think it it moves at around you know fourteen thousand to seventeen thousand miles per hour as well. And you basically have objects that are moving past. These the shuttle or the space station, doing right angle turns, um you know, sometimes even stopping on a dime and moving into formation, that has to be intelligently controlled. That can't be just a prosaic object like ice, space debris, or junk. Um and uh and yeah, I mean, we were you you were asking before, like. What else do they have? That's what everybody's curious about. And and, um, I wonder what this UAP research panel really was after and what they've been doing. Uh, The 15 scientists that were hired to look after and do a report on UAP. Uh, When you listen to uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, who's the director of Aero he seems to say none none of this seems to be anomalous enough to be like of ET origin, right? But he does hand pass the buck off to NASA. And he does in some reports say that NASA has more information than we have on these UAP uh, issues and UAP reports. What do they have? And I think on May 31st, 2023, it's going to be really interesting to see what that ends up being and what they end up releasing.
0: Just before we get to that uh, you were right 1976 for the Tehran incident I could go and edit out my mistake but I won't because you know mistakes are mistakes it happens but yeah 1976 I make them
1: all the time trust me
0: for the purists out there let's get the information right Um, yeah Buzz Aldrin is one of the most famous names on the planet if you say Buzz Aldrin people think astronaut space you know He's charismatic and he's a very likable guy. He has made some phenomenally incredible claims on UFOs and his time, usually on live TV. Um, of all the folks who know what he's talking about, he he really should be one of them. Why do you think there are astronauts like Buzz Aldrin who are happy to discuss seeing various objects and crafts? And he's talked about monoliths that are on other planets and moons, yet others. Seem to toe the company line much better and are quite derisory and laugh at the UFO subject. When I'm not saying everyone who goes into space sees a UFO and sees an alien spacecraft, but there seems to be a massive disparity, doesn't there, between a Buzz Aldrin and, you know, a lot of the more modern astronauts, shall we say?
1: Well, I think Buzz is from this era where you toe the party line, but Because he's considered such a celebrity and hero, um, he feels also conflicted with the things that he possibly witnessed, which is he chased a UFO craft when he was a test pilot far before he went to space, um, according to testimony that I featured in one of my docs. And he also, um, you know, was part of the report of a UFO, which the um neil armstrong reported you know asked if the s4b should be anywhere around them when they were on the way to the moon during apollo 11 and uh that's a really well documented case and i think buzz aldrin has changed that story over time he wants to talk about what he really witnessed but he's conflicted and knows he can't because he swore an oath and um You just don't talk about those things unless your military, you know, uh, leaders say you can. Um, and he's a military guy, essentially, right? So I think other astronauts have talked about things they said. There's uh, Leroy Chan, who saw three flying lights when he was an STS astronaut. Um, and uh, there's um, Obviously, story Musgrave that believes we're being visited and has been uh, very vocal about his theories on extraterrestrial intelligence being out there. Um, But they have to be careful because I think it's still such a woo subject for a lot of the world. They don't want to hurt their credibility and hurt their chances of, um, you know, Having a career or or being able to um, be taken seriously by their peers, so um, I think that it it's becoming more mainstream now. And I would love to see other astronauts come forward and talk about what they know or what they experienced in space in terms of anomalies, UFOs. If any of them listen to your Program, please reach out to me. I'm documenting this stuff like crazy and uh, will continue to going forward. Um, You said
0: in the the documentary that the footage we see from the shuttle missions, STS, the ISS is as compelling as the gimbal, the tic-tac, and I can't disagree with that. But why do you think it doesn't have the same impact? Why did that footage go viral? Yet the stuff that's been online for years, decades, you know, on your YouTube, on forums... On, on your VHS compilation tapes from the 90s, which I'm sure you'll be well aware of that used to sit on most video shelves. Why has that stuff not had the same public impact?
1: I think it's a matter of public opinion. You know, um, it had a big impact on me and it had a big impact impact on parts of the UFO community when that stuff was released. Um, you know, and I interviewed Martin Stubbs in this documentary, who's a Canadian that was intercepting the NASA downlink with his cable satellite systems at the company he worked at um, and recording that downlink footage over, you know, uh, a long duration during y- years and years onto Betacam tapes. And then he would go through on a traditional editing system, a linear editing system frame by frame uh, on his nights and weekends and find UFOs in space. And that was groundbreaking to me. And that's why I included him in the documentary as well to just show the history of this subject and people researching UFOs in space. And um, I think that... You will always have an interest in space, and it's uh, incredibly important now for us to document this stuff and have it uh, well scrutinized in the public now that UFOs are, for lack of a better word, mainstream. Since 2017, it's become more uh, studied and of interest to the mainstream, so um, part of my job uh documenting this stuff is to reinvigorate that interest and reintroduce it to uh the public the ufo community as well as you know hopefully get some eyes from the masses on this Um, because it is equally as interesting as the nimitz and uh tic tac ufo footage for the fact that this is being recorded by space cameras by Harley, highly, um, you know, professional space research institutions, a research institution. And uh, the technology is state of the art for the time. And even today, we, you know, far light infrared uh, ultraviolet camera technology is high, high quality technology, right? You can't see in that light spectrum. So they're looking into space for something that's hard to see. And UFOs are things that are hard to see. Not everybody gets to see them. Some people see them and it's a life changing incident, right? Um, experiencers and, and personnel from military and and space agencies. And so um, these videos are not like doctored videos that are showing things that are created with computer graphics. You know they're not cgi um in these videos these are just objects that are being recorded on space cameras in in a different light spectrum sometimes and i think it's it's important to compare that to these gun cameras that were recording tic tacs and gimbals uh the gimbal go fast uh gimbal ufo because that again is gun camera technology on state-of-the-art um aircraft that uh, is recording in infrared you know in another light spectrum it's at the other end of the light spectrum that we can't see with our human eye uh, but the military uses that to see things that are hard to see which are ufo's So let's bring it right up to modern times, right
0: almost uh, ahead of ourselves, because as we record this, uh, we're a couple of weeks away from that NASA study wrapping up. When it was announced, it was was pretty low budget and seemingly a preliminary study to see if there was a further study to be had. Um, The recent confirmation of that press call for the 31st of May says, and I'll quote, it is not a review or assessment of previous unidentifiable observations. The report will inform NASA on what possible data could be collected in the future to shed light on the nature and origin of UAP. So I think they're trying to set their stall out early that this was a look at what we should or could look at. Um, What do you expect NASA's study at this point then to show and what do you hope it potentially launches into?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they even say, you know, it's in, in accordance with the Federal Advisory Committee Act. NASA will be uh, looking at these anomalous phenomenon independent study uh, team. And they and they will be meeting on Wednesday, May 31st at 1030 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And they will have the live broadcast on NASA.gov live. Um, and public participation is going to be available. So uh, public people are going to be allowed to upvote questions to see if those could be asked and answered by this research group. Um, The agenda of the meeting and the slides will be presented and available on a webpage as well. So um, I think we will find out more. I think they will say some of the stuff that they've been looking at that's been coming from, you know, um, UFO reports. And then they're trying to interact with the public on this subject because they know that there is such a interest globally right now in this, in this issue, you know, Um, and I hope that they're able to present details on the fact that some of this stuff is definitely anomalous enough that it can't be considered from a foreign adversary or from possible military uh programs that are being carried out by the American uh military and defense agencies uh, that's what i hope i'm i'm not quite sure like if you're If they're expecting, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, a private media-based presentation first. Uh, Chrissy Newton was saying that she's actually, uh, you know, you're friends with Chrissy, I am too. She's part of the debrief and they're going to be actually brought into the initial session that's going to be a uh, private media presentation. And then they're going to go live to the public with uh, the rest of it. I don't know. I mean, um, I think they're just trying to also present the idea that they're interested in UAP. But in my series, I'm I'm trying to present the idea that they've always been interested in UAP <laughs> off the record.
0: Um, I, think, I think your series shows that they have to have been interested in UAP because these things are presenting themselves, aren't they? over and over and over again across the decades. Um, Gary Nolan, in the last 24 hours, has gone viral, whether he wanted to or not. I don't know if you've seen this from yeah. the, the SALT conference, the SALT conference, and his comments about UAPs. Um, I want to know, do you think, and I'm going to be covering this, and people listening to this will have heard the various shows on it by this point and seen the social media comments. Uh, do you think we're building towards an explosion of information finally coming out from official channels, the government, NASA hearings, officials, military, or are we going to be still here in 20 years' time, me running a podcast talking about disclosures coming, you're on the Apollo 40 to 49 missions, you know, we're back on the manned missions and we're, we're seeing things. What do you think, where are we going to be, Darcy?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I cover this also in Fast Walkers. Stephen Bassett profiles what developments are happening in Congress in terms of... uh New laws to protect whistleblowers. Um, new laws in in these uh, basically trying to unify intelligence and um, defense organizations on the idea that their personnel can come forward with accounts that they've had or experiences that they've had with UAP and to protect those people so that they could speak to organizations like Arrow. Um, And apparently Arrow has had multiple people come forward from military backgrounds that have given their testimony on very credible UAP incidents that have happened in history. And um, I think if you have laws being passed and that type of uh, whistleblower protection, Uh, information out there and uh, a growing interest in the public and nasa being part of the um you know research of unidentified anomalous phenomenon with their independent study that points to me that this is going to go mainstream in a big way and there will be some kind of uh, official disclosure i don't can't say for sure it's going to be this year you know i'm not as confident as john ramirez on that uh topic but we're we seem to be going down a road of mainstream disclosure and uh, whether that's later this year or next year or the year after i don't know but i think there could be um something especially you know if there there might be some kind of um, military um, aggression happening between our foreign adversaries and uh North America and their allies, you know
0: well, hopefully not, but yeah, there's a a lot of cards on the table right now potentially to be played in the geopolitical situation, shall we say uh, Darcy, brilliant speaking with you again so soon um and just to finish up, can I ask you what you're working on next if you've got anything in the pipeline?
1: I do have a couple projects in the pipeline, which are, you know, I can't really talk about right now, but I promise if people check out Fast Walkers and uh, they like that, it's going to be more of the same, you know, very well documented factual information where we show as much, um, you know, documents and videos and testimony that prove that something historically is going on uh, with something very interesting, that that has to do with UFOs. So I'm working on two different projects um, uh, right now, and uh, I'm really excited to present more stuff uh, later this year. But thank you so much for having me on. If people like my work, I really appreciate, um, you know, a star rating or a review left on Amazon Prime and uh, iTunes, like these types of platforms, because it helps others understand you know, what they're actually going to be observing. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate uh, you having me on and uh, your audience is really cool and uh, really well-informed people.
0: I'd like to think so. And you can get it on those platforms. I'll put the link in the description, geni.us forward slash fastwalkers. And it's on all the usual streaming platforms like you've mentioned there too. That'll be in there. Thank you very much for joining me, Darcy, and speak to you again soon.
1: Thanks, brother. Have a good one.
0: and that and she I'd like to thank Cure Hydration for sponsoring this episode. In our fast-paced, frantic daily lives, we can often forget to look after ourselves as well as we should. Simple things like staying hydrated can be forgotten. I know this as well as anyone. Even mild dehydration can cause headaches, muscle weakness and brain fog. Sound familiar? Yeah. But there is a solution Cure. Whether you're in a call centre and sat at a desk all day or off to meet your friends at the gym for a workout, staying properly hydrated is key to performing and feeling your best. Cure is the ideal solution to on-the-go hydration. The packets are convenient and easy to use, just mix with water and drink. They're perfect for on-the-go travel or anything you need a quick and effective hydration boost for. It's made with completely natural ingredients, is vegan and gluten-free and non-GMO, making it a great option for anyone with dietary restrictions or preferences. I love the fact it's zero grams of sugar and only 25 calories per sachet as well. So ready to combat dehydration? Try Cure today and feel the difference for yourself. Use code THATUFO for 20% off your order.